What's going on, man? Hey, man. Nothing. How you doing? Good. Uh, I'm I'm ready for a for a good Thursday night show. This is different for us. I yeah. I apologize for uh, Tuesday night, but um, just trying to fix my hair. <laughs> you look. Like I, mean, you I know just, it's not right, but you look I need like to wear you got like you do. You got some makeup on or something? You look you look good. No, I don't have makeup on. I'm not seeing like the wrinkles I normally see. <laughs> I don't know you what got fill, you got filler, didn't you? I took vacation. You got uh, filler. No, I've not had filler. No. <laughs> uh, I took vacation. Is what it was. But, uh, uh, I, but anyway, yeah. I'm sorry about Tuesday night. Uh, it'll always be on Tuesday night, except I had a an important meeting that night, and um, so I'm glad to do it on a Thursday night. Yeah, so, this is kind of fun. Um, yeah, I always try to lead in with. Um, well, it's maybe a good idea for me to tell of a patient or two that I've seen this week that's been interesting or some new thought or something and um, so I was pondering about what to say tonight and actually it's a couple patients I saw today that was just very interesting to me a couple of doctors one was an anesthesiologist and another one an ER physician and the anesthesiologist had gained a lot of weight during COVID and um, it was interesting, you know, the average American gained, I think, 21 pounds during the last two years because of COVID. And um, so they measured, he was unable as an anesthesiologist to, you know, a lot of their work was cut down and they really couldn't get into different rooms and things because of all the restrictions. So he says he usually walked about 10,000 steps and usually during COVID less than 5,000. And um, of course it had led to a lot of stress eating and things. So he had gained some weight and all we were talking about that. But the most interesting thing was when I talked to the ER doc and we always have some pretty good conversations about how medicine's changing and you know, we're about the same age. Um, and so it's just interesting what he had to say today about um, the way when a patient comes in the ER today, and I really wasn't real familiar with this, but he says it's all done almost like a cookbook workup. In other words, the doctor really doesn't have a lot to do with the workup that you get. In other words, if somebody comes in with belly pain, um, there's a certain protocol that the triage nurse has to institute so they can click it off on the computer. So. I mean, they have to do all this stuff. Like you got to get either an ultrasound or a CAT scan. You have to run a, a series of blood tests. It's almost like you don't even need the doctor anymore to put your hands on your belly and talk to the patient. You have to, uh, the hospital makes you undergo this rigorous workup when it could just be a belly ache. Um, and that, um, really leads to a lot of increased cost and time. He said his average in and out time from the, the time from the patient first got to the ER to when they left was two hours. Mm. And now it's about eight hours. Now, all my patients are complaining about how they laid on a hospital gurney for 13 hours before they were even seen with chest pain, shortness of breath. So they're overworked for sure, but when he said there was the protocols that they have to undergo now uh, that the doctor has nothing to do with, really kind of surprised me a lot. 
I don't know if it's the, for the hospital to generate more money or they're afraid of malpractice suits against the hospital, you know, regulations, uh, the EMR systems are all, it's probably a combination. So it's not really the doctor's fault, but they're kind of hampered. You know, they're taking the, the decision-making out of the doctor's hands and putting it in more of a cookbook formula. And you're having to do a lot of unnecessary things. Um, <laughs> one patient I had today, it's just his journey was just incredible what he went through, a five-day journey in the hospital um, <laughs> that he took. It was just phenomenal what he had to go through uh, because he had kind of overexerted himself um, and came in the garage, and he, he, he has asthma, so he's kind of tight-chested, a little bit winded, and... Um, you know, he's a little bit overweight, so his wife was really worried and mm -hmm. wanted to take him to the hospital. And he um, said, look, this is not my heart. This is, I'm, I'm short of breath. I overexerted myself. I need to catch my breath. And so the family kind of insisted that he go in for a workout to make sure he wasn't having a heart attack, which isn't, isn't unreasonable at all. But uh, <laughs> so he never wanted to go in the first place. And... Ends up, so he's the one that, that laid on the hospital gurney for 13 hours before he actually saw a physician. And then by that time, all the reports, I mean, all the symptoms of curse were gone. He goes, look, this isn't my heart. I just got overexerted myself. I was short of breath. But they launch in on the workup. And because there was a little funky couple lines in his EKG, uh, they said, we're not sure if you had a heart attack or not. We're really just not sure. So maybe we ought to put you in and, you know, maybe see a cardiologist and all this, get a cardiac cath. And he goes, look, I'm fine. I, I really want to go home. But he said, well, okay, you know, because his family was kind of worried. So uh, after laying in the ER for like 23 hours, they finally got him a bed in the ER. And of course, nobody wants to be in the ER now with all the COVID, hopefully, right. which is weaning down it is. But so he's in there and they finally get him a hospital bed the next day and still nothing really positive on his test. And cardiologist finally comes in to see him and talks him into getting a cardiac cath. He says, OK, you know, I think I'm fine, though. So they do a cardiac cath. It's completely clean and. Uh, a day later, he finally gets out of the hospital, and uh, <laughs> it's to the tune of I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of dollars. But that's just—I just thought it was interesting the the crazy bureaucracy that we have when you go into the hospital now. Um, so that's just a crazy couple it, of things I ran into today. So. It's interesting, but because you know, at the same time, you know, we even talk quite a bit about how you know medical error is. Um, the number one, I think, is it the number one cause of death in the U.S.? Medical yeah. error? Uh, mm -hmm. uh, or it's up there. and It's number one. No, it's number one. So, like, do you think that's in an effort to, like, not mm -hmm. make mistakes? or Maybe, maybe. Um, you know, just nowadays, like of course, the hospitals are understaffed. And, you know, it's just, you know, you, you don't want to have to go there. Right. No, <laughs> unless yeah. you have to. But, you know. 
and, and I, I don't think, you know, you're certainly not, uh, and we're not certainly, uh, certainly not demonizing, you know, the hospital or, or it, you know, it's a, they're doing the best they can uh, in, in most cases. But I, but I do think it really emphasizes the importance on, you know, taking care of your own health and, yeah. you know, not if getting you have to a problem, that point. You need to go to the, the emergency room in the hospital. You, you know, you, you need to, it's great. Right. But um, it's just the bureaucracy of it's really tough nowadays. Anybody out there who's been in the ER lately or the hospital, you know what it's like and it's terrible. Then you're, his family couldn't even come see him. Right. So, you know, uh, I think that went bonkers. So, but anyway. Crazy. Crazy. Yeah. Well, we got some we got some questions today that I think is going to help a lot of people uh, take care of their own health. Uh, real quick, I see that uh, Denise is here. Denise, thank you so much for hanging out. We love you. Uh, and hopefully I'll, I'll get to see you soon. I know you get to see Doc uh, more than me, so I need to uh, get up there and catch up with you. Um, all right, guys, we had some great questions. Uh, Motaz, what's going on, man? Great to see you. Oh, Motaz, my kid. Um, all right, let's, let's see here. Let's let's start off with um, a, uh, let's see here. This would be a COVID question. Are you using the two new antiviral drugs, Paxlovid and Molnupiravir, to treat COVID? If so, is that in addition to the ivermectin or in place of? No, I mean, if you could get a hold of it, you know, the Paxlovid is the one that really works for the new variant. Um, uh, not so much the other one, a little bit. Um, but, you know, if you could get a hold of it, I tried to get a hold of it yesterday for somebody who had some risk factors, but unable to. So it's just not real, real available. Um, but uh, so the, the old cocktail that we used to use, monoclonal antibodies, uh, hasn't been real effective um, for uh, the new variant. Um, yeah, I, but I use ivermectin and the whole protocol, regardless of whether you use monoclonal antibody uh, or not. So they are, the Pax, Paxlovid is, is probably the most effective one. It's a five-day, I think it's five pills a day for five days, and it's um, supposedly be pretty effective, um, but certainly use the other stuff as well. Um, the whole protocol. So, but it's, it's the number is certainly coming way down. You know, we treated several today, but um, it's really coming down. Hospitalizations are going down. They're just plummeting. Mm. Um, so uh, things are, you know, let's declare the pandemic over and go on with our lives and realize that we're never going to be free of uh, COVID. It'll be like the annual flu or so, so forth. So let's just get out there and, um, you know, get rid of all the mandates and uh, let's get rid of all the masking orders. And I'll tell you, when I went to Palm Beach Boca last week, it was no fun to wear that mask on, in the airport, in the airplane. That was just a, a nightmare and terrible. But uh, we need to get rid of all that stuff, in my opinion. And let's get on with our lives and declare the pandemic as being over and uh focus more on preventive medicine and uh and early treatment and, and speaking of that um you know as you know we're ending the pandemic um covid's still going to be around uh, this question is should we still take quercetin on an ongoing basis even when covid is not an issue uh, and, and this is a great question 
uh, quercetin's kind of been a new buzzword uh, yeah. with COVID. Um, you know, as uh, COVID becomes, um, as it, you know, uh, uh, goes on the way it will. Uh, yeah, uh, I love quercetin. It's just a great flavonoid and um, it certainly helps to get the zinc in the cells as well. So, yeah, I mean, that's something I take. It, it actually comes in vitamin C. You just take it vitamin C with quercetin if you want, but I think it's certainly a really good supplement, uh, maybe one of the best we have So uh, for your immune system. So, you know, I was taking it before. I'll take it always. All right. Thank you for, for that question there. I know a lot of people are thinking the same thing. Um, okay, this is a, a, a vitamin D question, I'm assuming, because you know we talk a lot about K2 with vitamin D. Um, should I only take K2 and not K1 if wanting the bone and heart benefits? Uh, also, I've read varying opinions on which K2 is best for the bone. Uh, for bone, some say MK4 and some say NK7. MK7, which do you think? I think I'd just take both, a mixture of them, but the MK7 is the one that's probably the most potent. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I do like, uh, the mixture of them, of them all. Um, there are certain people that shouldn't take vitamin K if you're on blood thinners, but, uh, certainly the vitamin K, uh, helps the vitamin D bring the calcium into your bones, not your arteries. So, um, I really, I, but I, you know, of all I read, the MK7 is really the one that, that, uh, Hits it really good, and uh, I like. It. I found a new form of it um, this week that I like. It's made by Ortho Molecular, and that's that's a really good company um, for those that are concerned about um, maybe if like I had a question a couple a few weeks ago. I think was was there was some maldextrin. Life Extension is now putting a little bit of maldextrin in some of their a lot of their vitamins as a filler. And it's a small amount, but for diabetics and people that are worried about that, they can go to a different company like Orthomolecular, and and you're not going to find it there. So it's it's more expensive for sure, but um, they they may be a little bit more pure. Um, they're still both good companies, but uh, I'm using some Orthomolecular things now as well uh, for people that uh, are interested in that. Some people get pretty picky about vitamins and all, and the purity. Orthomolecular also makes a really good omega. Um, so that, that's a good company. I like them. All right. Thank you for, for that question there. Um, let's go to a, another great company that we love uh, in Digest Shield. Um, when is the best time to take Digest Shield? I'm just, starting, I'm just starting. Do I need to take it with my morning vitamins or space it out? Um. You know, I'd probably take it, you know, if you have an IV. I've seen some people that can get by once a day on it, um, like me. Now, the average dose is twice a day, 30 minutes before lunch and dinner. You can certainly take it before breakfast if you eat breakfast. But, you know, I'm always trying to get people not to eat breakfast to try to practice intermittent fasting most of the time, which has so many benefits uh, for everything, not only for weight loss and increased energy, but also uh, to help clear out senescent cells and for aging. You know, if you hear, if you ever follow Dr. Some of Dr. David Sinclair's books or podcasts, he's huge on that. He talks a lot about senescent cells and 
some of the different pathways that things go down. Uh, but yeah, so twice a day, 30 minutes before the two meals a day. Um, All right. And uh, speaking of uh, Dr. Sinclair, we've got a few questions uh, about uh, NMN. Uh, I'm reading Dr. Sinclair's book, Lifespan. Can you talk about NMN, any opinion on brand and dosage? Um, gosh, I know there's a few brands out there. NMN is a form of niacin. It's almost a precursor to NAD, you know, which is supposed to pop up your glutathione levels. Um, you know, I've used more uh, NR, probably nicotinamide riboside, instead of monophosphate. Um, there's a lot more studies on the NR than the NMN. Uh, you got to go through more steps to break it down. Uh, you know, it's niacinamide is, is what you're getting to. That's what Sinclair talks about all the time. I know he likes it a lot, and uh, but I don't know if you look if you look up the literature. There's a lot more studies on um, nicotinamide riboside, which which I like a lot. Um, that's that's the one I take. Uh, what, what's the brand on that? That's uh, that's a Life Extension. Okay. Um, so I'm not, I'd have to do more research on the different brands of NMR. I mean, a lot of people really like NMM? it. I mean, NMM, but um, there's not as many studies. It does take longer to convert. If it does, there's, um, and there's some question of it. Is it effective orally or as a injectable form? But uh, the jury's kind of out on that. I know Sinclair likes it a lot. And uh, certainly, you know, you're trying to get that, uh, the effects of the vitamin B3 nice, and there's different forms of it. Um, but, uh, you know, right now I'm taking a nicotinamide riboside and, and I really like that one. Um, Th this question kind of is, is along those lines. I think it's a, a lot about what you're taking. Um, but this, it's another Dr. Sinclair question, um, saying that he takes NMN in the morning uh, as it does not require food. Uh, so should I take, should I with my NAD plus in the morning, uh, uh, do you, you take NMN or I mean, I take NAD plus as well. Um, I take the NR instead of the MNN, but um, a lot of it has to do with availability. It's hard yep. to get an NAD plus as well. I mean, you know, it's hard to get. Uh, but both are certainly fine. If, and if in the morning, it, that's one you could take it in the morning. On okay. You know, he fast. Matter of fact, Sinclair just eats one meal a day. Um, so... I think it's a really good, uh, a good time to take that uh, supplement. So they can take uh, NNM, NMN with NAD plus in the morning. Yeah, you can. Cool. Yeah. Uh, NMN is really not a vitamin. Uh, NR could be classified as a vitamin, but it gets kind of complex. And I'm, I'm for you taking some form of that vitamin B three for sure. Um, has so many good anti-aging properties and uh, activates a lot of good pathways. I mean, you're, you're taking a deep dive in the mTOR and all this stuff. Um, I actually had a patient that got a prescription for rapamycin this week that Sinclair talks about. I mean, he went to that doc in New York City. Yeah. Uh, 
and he came back with a prescription of rapamycin. And this guy's the only guy in the country I know that really prescribes it, and which is kind of the holy grail of aging. And, you know, it's, it's shown in animal studies. There's no really human studies on it yet to prolong life in rats by sometimes up to 60% and helps wrinkles, helps prevent heart disease, diabetes, everything. Um, so I think it may turn out to be the holy grail of aging. And, uh, but, um, you know, it's, an, it's, it's given to organ transplant uh, patients to prevent rejection. It's an immunosuppressant. So theoretically, it could predispose you to have, uh, you know, the, your immune system to be a little bit compromised. So he goes to this doc up in New York City who I had a patient in Knoxville go to the same doctor and get a prescription for it. But anyway, he said, keep a Z-pack around the house in case you get a cold or something. You need to <laughs> pop it immediately. But apparently it's, it's safer if you do kind of do lower dosing at, in an in intermittent fashion. But um, like I said, maybe the Holy Grail, what was funny though, so he gets his prescription from New York City for rapamycin, which you think would cost thousands of dollars as an anti-rejection uh, medicine. He, he presented it to a Kroger's in Johnson City and his copay was $10. <laughs> <laughs> so I just kind of, I just laughed. I go, man. <laughs> that's a wild one, but stay tuned on the rapamycin. That's why I've been reading about it for a few years, mostly stimulated by Sinclair's book, Longevity. So, you know, um, I don't know. I, you know, I'm afraid to take it right yet, but uh, maybe I, something. Well, it sounds like it's a life. terrible time to take it, you know, if it's, it's going to be. Yeah, right now, especially, you know, wait till this code is really kind of getting over with. But uh, I certainly, you know, wouldn't take it during a flu or. Uh, COVID epidemic or whatever, but just interesting. Stay tuned on rapamycin. I hope to keep up with this. All right. Um, back to, this is a, a COVID question here. Have you seen a large, a large number of shingles cases after COVID infection? What is the connection? If any, is there a blood panel that can test for multiple retroviruses? I treated a lady yesterday that had shingles and COVID at the same time. Uh, the COVID precipitated the shingles. I've seen a few cases of this and uh i guess it just you know your immune system's compromised so it, it can reactivate anything the autoimmune disease it can certainly activate it um so i guess that's a connection i'm sure there's a blood panel that can test for retroviruses but it's not available in any lab that i know uh you're gonna have to get a more of a research lab and probably kind of expensive but um, you know, with retroviruses, you, you, you know, with HIV, certainly check for that. But um, all the other multiple retroviruses, I don't know. Um, but uh, it's it, there's probably going to be a lot of research on that after this, after this COVID um, virus. There's a lot of people who think that we're going to have an, a more of an outbreak of HIV now. Really? You know? but, yeah, that's what some people postulate. Huh. But, yeah, we'll see. Um, okay, let's get to this question here. Uh, why would a person crave something sweet after eating a well-balanced slash healthy meal? Is there a vitamin deficiency? Um, I mean, there could always be a vitamin deficiency, but probably, um, you know, it just depends on what you eat. I know if you if you eat if you eat carbs, your insulin level goes up, 
to bring down your sugar level. And again, you maybe eat good carbs, it still might you may be a little bit insulin resistant. So your insulin kind of pops up too much to bring the sugar down to keep your blood sugar normal. And as you know, insulin is a fat storing hormone that stimulates your appetite. You know, makes you crave carbs. So that's probably the reason. I mean, I notice it myself and most people do. But so vitamin efficiency, you'd have to do some testing to see about that. But um, I mean, you could always try to balance out your that with metformin or berberine, uh, maybe some alpha lipoic acid, cinnamon, uh, you know, dark chocolate. There could be a few things you could do without immediately eating uh, cake or pie or sugar. Uh, it goes away pretty quick. So probably a little bit, of, a little bit of craving because of insulin resistance and uh, insulin overactivity. Uh, speaking of, of insulin overactivity, uh, my wife takes ribelsis for diabetes but experiences nausea. Have you found that Ozempic yeah. shots result in less nausea? Uh, also, is one more effective than the other? That's a great question. I prescribe ribelsis twice today. It's just the oral uh, GLP-1 inhibitor, um, glucagon-like peptide. Um, are, uh, there's, there's some people that say it stands for gut, liver, pancreas, because that's what it acts on. Interesting. Really stand I for that. That. That's a, yeah. Um, matter of fact, the lecture I went to Tuesday night, because I missed this, uh, I talked about that, but it's a really good uh, uh, way to term it, because that's how it acts in three different ways. Um, but uh, in your gut, because it delays gastric emptying, in your pancreas, because it makes your insulin more effective at uh, putting the sugar into your cells from the blood, um, and in your liver by uh, decreasing glucagon, the storage form of sugar output. So that's how it works. So rebelsis is just the oral form of GLP like Ozempic. So you can get nauseated on either one of them. I've probably seen less nausea from the rebelsis, but you have to take the rebelsis every day. You still start out low, work your dose up, start at three milligrams. Um, I've had more luck with both probably from the Ozempic shots. You know, some people, some people I use rebelsis on if they're on Medicare and they won't cover the Ozempic shots. Uh, but I guess Ozempic's my favorite one. Both can cause nausea. It's usually temporary, it goes away. You start out low, you work your dose up. Uh, so, but they're both great. They're, they're just great medicines. And also very cardio protective. Hmm. I mean, they're heart protective. So I assume we're gonna use these a lot for heart disease as, as well as diabetes. And of course, uh, Wegovy, which is the other form of Ozempic, same thing, it's a semi-glutide, but um, it's, it's for just pure weight loss and non-diabetics. So I like them both. Usually whatever your insurance will pay for and you tolerate the best, but go slow. And uh, the nausea usually goes away. But if you have severe stomach cramping or pain, stop it. You know, let the doctor know about it. Uh, great question there. Um, we're going to go to the next one here. Uh, I was diagnosed with COVID uh, February 6, 2022. The office prescribed uh, a Z-Pack and then doxycycline with prednisone. I took the regimen of vitamins and ivermectin as prescribed. 
now I have a, a UTI. Uh, I found this out today. They have prescribed seven days of Cipro. Uh, what does Dr. Rogers think? Is there anything else I can do to help treat the UTI? That's probably going to do it. If you're taking Cipro, that's a heavy hitter, broad spectrum. Make sure you take your probiotics. And, um, you know, I haven't, you know, I haven't seen a lot of UTIs post COVID, but we see a lot of UTIs anyway. And certainly, um, you need an antibiotic for it. Maybe you weren't drinking enough water or you're predisposed to it. Uh, but certainly, um, that's going to knock it out for sure. Um, there's a lot of women, of course, get UTIs much more often than men just because of the anatomy. But drink a lot of water. You can always take some peridium for the burning and things, but uh, drink a lot of water. Uh, if you get repeated UTIs, you probably need to work up and maybe try some cranberry pills or something for prevention. Uh, but uh, yeah, that should knock it out. All right. Well, hopefully, hopefully that helps. Um, this is one that came over on Instagram. Uh, what is a good iron supplement? I like the iron plus protein that Life Extension has. Uh, it seems to work um, and not upset the stomach. Like the problem with iron, it constipates people and upsets their stomach. So I've had real good luck. I started a couple of down iron plus protein by Life Extension. So. Uh, and remember, when you take your iron, take some vitamin C before you take it, and it makes it absorb better. Hmm. Uh, so ideally about an hour before you take your iron supplement. Um, All right, let's go to this uh, next one here. We're going to get to the live comments uh, here in just a second. Uh, how can you regain smell post-COVID? This is a, obviously a common concern. Um, what's your, uh, where are you at currently with this? Well, of course, zinc is, is the first thing you do. You're probably on that anyway. Um, I like NAC a lot, NAC. Um, I like Flonase, the nasal steroid that you can have. You can always try to um, uh, educate your own olfactory system again by, you know, putting your nose in some coffee and associating smelling what you look at coffee beans with coffee retrain it a bit but I, the best new thing is igy that we we talked about a couple weeks ago that uh it's it's a hyper immunized egg is what it is but it has all these different um immunoglobulins in it and it has uh it's almost like an oral vaccine typical uh with all these different pathogens in it to kind of clear the gut up. You know, a lot of post-COVID things are gut related. You know, they kind of mess your microbiome up. But the IGY, it's interesting because the first person I gave it to um, had a short course of COVID. This is one of our PAs and did lose taste and smell. And within two hours of her first dose, she got it back. I mean, I don't know if that was coincidence or at work, but I had another nurse that, that had lost taste and smell for almost a year post-COVID and had regained it after a couple weeks of the IGY. So you can try IGY. Um, it's super interesting. Is, and so and we go back to my podcast on that, and you can, or my note, and you can kind of look at it, how it works and everything. Yeah, it's, but, it's, really, uh, it's really fascinating. We're um, 
out of the office, we, we have a microbiome shield uh, that has IGY antibodies in it. And it's a, uh, made by Shield Nutraceuticals, who also makes uh, Digest Shield. Uh, so we're super, we're super pumped about it. Uh, we are, we are currently sold out. So if, if there, if there's, uh, any, we can't actually sell any, any more of it right now, but we're in the process of, of getting more in office. Um, let's go to, to one more. This is a multivitamin question. What multivitamin do you feel is best for men? Um, there's a lot of them. Of course, the life extension two a day is a good one. Orthomolecular makes a really good one as well. Um, but, uh, you know, as long as it doesn't have iron in it, just you don't need any iron as a man in the multivitamin. Um, and I'm not against the, you know, the men's health uh, multivitamins from GNC, uh, Mega Men. I used to take that one. Uh, but uh, just get one that you can take and tolerate. Take it with food because some multivitamins make you a little bit nauseated. But, uh, and always check the ingredients on them and, Make sure it's a quality vitamin with uh, an expiration date and, you know, outside testing and all. Uh, so I know that the two a day from Life Extension, if you compare that to a Centrum, um, it's got a lot more in it. Hmm. A lot more in it. Um, matter of fact, it has so much in it that if I take it on an empty stomach, I'll get nauseated. So I have to take it with uh, food. Um, all right, guys, that does it for the for the questions that came in throughout the week. Uh, thank you all for uh, hanging out with us uh, while we go through those questions. Um, thank you to the people who submitted those uh, during the week. Uh, we're going to we're going to get in here and uh, answer any questions you guys have. Um, so I, I apologize. I haven't been um, looking at the comments as they as they've been coming in. But we're going to uh, thank you for thank you, team. It is on Tajani C for Brandy. Um, let's see here. Uh, where are we at? Where are we at? Uh, man, so many people here commenting. I love it. Uh, if you guys have questions for Doc, put them in the comments. Uh, we're going to try to get to every single one. Uh, let's get to, to Kathy's here. Uh, is it safe to use Ozempic if you are not a diabetic? And, uh, Kathy, yeah. I, th I think you've asked this before and I've just totally dropped the ball on you. I apologize. Yeah. Great question. It is, you know, as long as you don't have um, a history of pancreatitis or something called medullary thyroid cancer that was found in one rat, never been seen in a human, uh, or something called MEN syndrome number two, which is rare as hen's teeth. So basically, yes, it's very safe. And that's the beauty of it because, and it's, again, it's been FDA approved to use in non-diabetics for weight loss in the form of Wegovy. It's the same exact medicine as Ozempic and you can go up way higher dose. Um, but uh, yeah, it's safe. It will not bottom your sugars out. Um, again, if you are a diabetic, you, you know, you're going to lose weight on it. And, you know, if you're on other diabetic medicines, uh, especially if you're on, unfortunately, if you were on a sulfonylurea, you definitely want to watch your sugars. But uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's safe. That's what we use it for mostly is uh, weight loss and non-diabetics. And now we have this cardioprotective effect. It's, it's been out, and so I assume that a lot of cardiologists are going to be adding this to their regimen um, to prevent further heart disease or for their metabolic patients. So, great question. Yes, safe. Uh, thank you for that, Kathy. Um, let's go to T Mac on uh, YouTube here. 
Uh, is it still good to take fish oil capsules? I've been hearing some say most are rancid and not he uh, healthy to take. Any suggestions on a good source? I'll tell you, probably uh, I, the life extension, of course, is Creel. I like it a lot. Um, I think I'm going to order some orthomolecular. Um, it's definitely probably a pure product, and you can, you can take a tablet of that according to some people I've talked to, and just bite into it and it tastes kind of lemony. So yeah, a good way to test a fish oil, please do not get a cheap fish oil at Walmart or somewhere. Uh, not that Walmart can be bad for everything, but just don't get a cheap fish oil. Because if it's rancid, if you cut into it and it smells to high heaven, do not take it. Um, but, uh, you know, make, look at the expiration date on it, et cetera. But, um, Barleen's makes a pretty good uh, liquid uh, omega-3 that I like. Um, so uh, try, the, try the orthomolecular if you can. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to order some of that just to get on that myself because I think it's probably a little pure. Uh, uh, great question there, T-Mac. Thank you for that. I'm going to put this up for Doc. Uh, uh, miss you, Doc. This is from Motaz. Uh, I'm sure he misses you, too. too. Motaz, I hope you're doing well. I call him the doctor, the professor. He has so many PhDs, you can't even count them now. And, <laughs> you know, the guy's so smart. He, I hope he doesn't ask me any questions because it'll be over my head. I <laughs> hope you're doing well, and I hope you're not freezing your tail off up there. But, you know, why don't you come back down south, you know, where, you know, land of honey, whatever. Uh, we're going <laughs> to... Milk and honey. Milk yeah, and honey. We, we, guys, we got we to gotta keep the questions... Uh, you know, a, a little, you know, a little uh, basic here. I, I see that uh, Doc's got the the Yeti uh, that he keeps sipping oh, on, and this right here. I know that's not water. I know that's not uh, Topo well, Chico. Well, it's a it's an old fashioned. You know, <laughs> Guys, whenever you see the Yeti, that's what relax me. I've had a hard day. <laughs> uh, I love this. This from... week's been tough. You take a week off, you come back, and it's it's a hard week. A lot of stuff piles up on you, but I've got so many good, I've got such a good staff that they really take care of it. So great for me. This so, is this. Thank is, you, staff. This is very true. This thank you, Katie. Great. Katie's the one that keeps everything together. Thank you, Katie, if you're on here. That's exactly right. Uh, we love you, Katie. This is a uh, an announcement just of how much we love you, Katie. Thank you so much for all that you do, and uh, we don't say it enough. Um, okay, let's get to to Karen's question here. Uh, we just came back from Denver on Sunday, so the uh, the cannabis uh, common sense was timely for Karen. Uh, the cannabis for sleep was so helpful. Curious if side effects better, equivalent, or worse than Ambien slash Lunesta. I have a feeling I know your answer, uh, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah, you know, I, I really, Ambien's not a drug that I like. Um, it's just the long-term effects of Ambien are probably going to be pretty bad, like dementia memory loss. It just creates such, such an amnesia. And Lunesta is a little cleaner drug than Ambien, I've found. I've also taken Lunesta many times. Um, and, you know, I just, they're not the best. There's a new class of drugs coming out. They're what we call orexin drugs. So they, they work in a little different um, receptor site. So they're probably going to be better. And there's one that isn't out yet that I'm really um excited about um 
but that I think will help not only sleep, but maybe daytime awakeness better. Um, but um, anyway, so yeah, I think it's a lot safer uh, with the cannabis products. And of course, CBD is really good for that. And, um, you know, now that hopefully when we get in Virginia, which we're already in, um, and we, when we uh, learn the, the use of THC in low doses, uh, it'll even be better. Um, but actually CBD in itself may give you better sleep than THC does. So, um, I think there's a lot of, uh, a lot of things that will help you sleep in the cannabis world for sure. There's different, there's one called CBN that's, that's probably going to be just targeted for sleep. Um, there's THC, um, there's CBD, and then there's a CBN that you might not have heard about. Those are the main three forms hmm. of cannabidiols, even though there's over 100, those are the main three that people talk about. But uh, so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad it, it, this little uh, lecture thing I put out was helpful and just stay tuned about it because there's a lot more I'm going to be saying about uh, cannabis in itself. I know I rambled a little bit, but there's a lot of ground to cover with when you're talking about medical marijuana and CBD. And the best is probably going to be a, a combination of uh, CBD, um, which has no psychoactive properties and THC, which does. So it's going to be interesting, but I, th I think it's really going to be helpful for a lot of people. I'm not for use of uh, THC for kids and teenagers, and it's just a great demotivator. It's just, I don't like it for them. And whether it's a gateway drug or not, I don't know. Some, most people say no, but um, I've also talked to people who said that's the way they started on their drug abuse. So, uh, but for, for people that need it, that qualify, um, that it's prescribed by a uh, doctor, then um, I'm all for it. Stay tuned. What would be interesting is, is if we could, um, you know, I would be interested what an aura ring would say uh, if you're on Lunesta or Ambien, because sometimes, you know, you yeah. think you sleep well, but I, I've done my, of course, I have an aura ring on and I check my sleep patterns every night. And I can tell you, uh, I won't ever take Ambien again. It's been years since I tried that out, but uh, it causes all kinds of weird middle of the night problems. But when I take Lunesta, it will put me to sleep, but the quality of sleep's not that great. It's, it's much better with a right. combination of melatonin and CBD, um, without a doubt for me. Um, and for women, I put a lady today on progesterone for sleep. So progesterone is great too for women and maybe men. Yep. Okay. I put a man on progesterone today, a cream as, as an aromatase inhibitor to bring his uh, estrogen levels down instead of using uh, an astrozole. You, so, you know, we should probably talk about progesterone a little bit more. We need to do um, maybe a deep dive on it. Okay. Um, okay, let's get to, to Margaret here on antibodies. Uh, husband and I both have vaccines in early 2021. He recently had the boosters. Uh, we had both antibodies tested. Mine was 32.49. His was 150. Neither of us has had COVID. Can you explain the antibody numbers? Uh, this is a tough question, uh, Margaret, because uh, the antibody, uh, interpreting them seems to be, 
a little all over the place. You know, you can have a whole bunch of antibodies, you know, and still uh, get COVID. What, what, what's your what's your interpretation of, of these two numbers? Yeah, um, of course, the higher the number, the more antibodies you have and probably the more protected you are. I haven't found that the vaccines give you uh, as high an antibody as uh, having actual COVID. Really, the best thing that can happen is if you get COVID and do fine with it, and um, when I checked my antibodies a month, six weeks after I had COVID, they're greater than 2,500, which is as high as it measures. But we think you also get T cell immunity, uh, memory T cells that are also protective um, from getting COVID uh, that won't show up on. There is a lab core test, a, a T detect that some people will go pay for. I haven't had it, but that might be an interesting thing to go get. But um, so the higher the number, the better. Um, so that means you still have antibodies, so it's good. And how, you know, why yours is lower than your husband's, I don't know. That's just, it's, it really varies a lot. Um, but uh, it seems to be higher if you've had COVID. I know the vaccine, I mean, I've had people take the vaccine and didn't think they had COVID and, and had antibodies a year later. You know, we think the vaccine may give you some protection for about four months and then not so much. So we think innate immunity is, is definitely better than, than the vaccinated immunity. I don't think there's any question about that. Um, but uh, so at least you uh, have antibodies. Yep. Congratulations. Uh, and again, you may have had a mild case of COVID and never knew it. Um, it's hard to say. Um, but... Uh, you know, so, and again, you can get COVID more than once. There's no doubt about it. Uh, I know Dr. McCullough said you couldn't, but that was before Omicron. Now we know you can. I suspected you could before. When he said that, I questioned it. And, and he did say that before the um, Omicron variant. Uh, viruses mutate. Uh, thank you for that question, uh, Margaret. Uh, let's go to Gina's question here. I've heard uh, quercetin is not good to take if you have low thyroid. Uh, thoughts? Well, you know, some of the flavonoids, like even broccoli, can affect it. So what I would tell you is you can still take it, but, um, you know, definitely take it during COVID. But if you're worried about it, taking it, you don't have to. But, uh and again, if you take C with quercetin, uh, it's not that high dose of quercetin. But just keep an eye on your um, your your levels and see if it affects it. Um, and certainly, if you have Hashimoto's, just check your TPO antibodies and follow those. But um, I've heard the same thing. I haven't seen it in clinical practice matter a whole lot. But uh, you know, see how you feel. How you feel trumps a lab test anytime, and, and then. Um, get the lab test and see, you know, if it affects your numbers any, because it could, it, almost any supplement could affect anything. Um, yeah, and a lot, that, of have, a lot of it has to do with your microbiome as well, and absorption rates and things. So, but a great question. Uh, thank you for that, Gina. Uh, great question there. Uh, it seems Iram on, on YouTube uh, is asking about ginger oil, uh, for pain, uh, do you recommend ginger ginger oil for pain? A lot of people use it. I was reading something the other day about that. I forget where that was, and I read that. It was in something that they claim really worked for inflammation. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, I'm, uh, 
I haven't personally experienced it, although I think there may have been a little combination uh, CBD product that had ginger in it. I think that's where that's coming from. Uh, they called it the hot CBD, I believe. But uh, um, yeah, it certainly wouldn't be averse to, to trying that at all. Oh, I'm going to try it. Let me know. Uh, thank you for, for that, Iram, right there. Um, okay, let's go to, to Rochelle. Uh, could vitamin K cause issues peri and post-COVID as some are in hypercoagulable uh, state? You know, you'd have to have a pretty high dose of vitamin K. So, um, again, I think the effect of taking uh, an 81 milligram aspirin, of course, when you have acute code for two weeks, I want you to take a 325. Because you're right. I mean, it is a hypercoagulable state. So if you can't take aspirin, take natokinase, uh, a lumbokinase. Uh, but uh, as Dr. Sibley would prefer. But, um, but anyway, uh, you know, I haven't found it to, to be a, a cause for concern uh, so much as long as you're taking the other um, blood thinners, uh, especially if you're recovering from COVID, you know, during the first month, it's when you're most at risk. So, you know, I, I certainly kept taking mine. Um, but, uh, of course, I always take an 81 milligram aspirin as well. Uh, thank you. Thank you for that question, Rochelle. Uh, let's go to YouTube now. Uh, doctor, can I ask about uric acid and how does it affect us? Yeah, well, you know, there's a really new book out about uric acid, and I'm gonna I'm gonna let Fran do a little yeah. podcast on that. If Fran's listening, I want you to do a podcast on uric acid. That new book you read about the the, the guy, the guru of uric acid, is going to tell us about how you need to really get that level down and different ways you can do it through your diet, etc., supplements. But uric acid. Um, you think about gout um, with uric acid, you know, it's, a, it's kind of a related to a salt that deposits in joints and causes gout. And some people are genetically predisposed to it through family history. Other people um, get it through poor eating habits um, and getting these pyrene type things in their diets, but that you find in red meat and seafood and alcohol can certainly exacerbate it. Um, but it's also part of that metabolic syndrome. So gout or high uric acid levels is, is part of metabolic syndrome. Mm. Obesity, uh, diabetes, hypertension, high triglycerides. So yeah, uric acid is terrible for you. And if you can get it low, it's really going to help out in a lot of ways. And I will get, Ben, you can, you can do an outside the box or, or I can uh, interview Fran about this new book she just read about uric acid because it turns out you're on the right track because it is very important uh, for prolonging your life. The lower your uric acid level, the longer you're going to live probably. A um, uh, huge shout out to Fran Wilson, one of our PAs in the Johnson City office. Uh, we will definitely get her uh, on the podcast and uh, do a little uh, a deep dive on on uric acid. So thank you for uh, for that, Roel. 
uh, for bringing that uh, bringing that up. And and guys, it, I, we take you know a lot of our topics that we uh, decide to focus on come from questions just like that. So so thank you for that, Roel. And if there's something you guys uh, want more of from us, uh, the comment section is a good place uh, to do it. Um, here's another thing I like for that is heart <laughs> cherries. These are really good. Could you not have you saved that? that in your old fashioned. Could you not have saved that for for after the show? I'm just the perfect time to do it. <laughs> what what sort of what sort of cherry, cherries do you put in yours? Maraschino, but of course tart cherries are good for inflammation, and <laughs> you can eat those. Those are good for you. It helps uh, swelling. Uh, nice of you to have a, have a little fruit. arthritis, maybe gout too. Well, there you go. There you go. We'll do a we'll do a podcast on old fashions. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I right, wish I'd put some alcohol in there. <laughs> let's get to Tracy's question. Uh, how long are the IV therapy treatments, uh, and do you need to make an appointment for those? And uh, uh, Katie, Katie might be the the best one to answer this. I I believe they can range. Uh, Depending, depending on depending, which yeah. which IV you get. Um, yeah, if you just get a Myers cocktail, <clears throat> which is our most popular one, it doesn't take thirty minutes to get it. I mean, if you're in the office, we usually give you one if you need one. Preferably call up, you know, call yeah. ahead of time, but we can do it that day usually. Uh, we've got so many good nurses that are great with IVs um, in all our offices, uh, but generally about thirty minutes, you know. Sometimes longer if we do a hydration, a full liter of saline for just dehydration or et cetera. Um, I gave one to, to a guy today who was, had a UTI. But, um, but anyway, um, it may take an hour, 45 minutes for that. Um, for, you know, higher dose vitamin C, say we're putting 100,000 milligrams. Right. We, we, can, we can actually get up to 100,000 milligrams on vitamin C. That's wild. Um, and now, that'll of course, take you, you four need, hours. That'll take four hours. And you need, uh, that, of course, you would have to get a, a is it a G6PD? Uh, yeah, for any higher dose vitamin C, we, you have to get a, a blood test called a G6PD to make sure you don't have a one in a million enzyme abnormality that you would, could cause you hemolytic anemia, but it's rare as hen's teeth. I don't think I've seen one in my career that had a positive, but but certainly uh, just the usual one, it doesn't take long at all. Uh, usually about 30 minutes. Um, so uh, thank you for that question. People like them. They really make you feel feel really good. Um, thank you for that. I wish I'd have gotten one when I came back from Palm Beach after that five-hour layover having to wear a mask in the airport. You know, that tired me out and smothered me. So I wish I had come back and gotten a, a Myers, but I didn't. So <laughs> let's get to, let's get to Ray's question uh, over on YouTube. Uh, would you recommend taking L-arginine for increasing nitric? Uh, sorry, nitric oxide in the body. Yeah. If so, are there any drug interactions to be concerned about? Um. Yeah, I recommend that for increasing NO in your body. You know, we we put. We usually put people with COVID on that. I certainly took it. And also we use it pre-workout. If you lift a lot of weights or work out hard, it's great for muscle pump to take about half hour, hour before you work out. But it's it's very safe. I mean, it could potentially, if you're on a bunch of blood pressure medicines, uh, could lower your blood pressure a little bit. Um, but I'm trying to think of any other... <clears throat> 
any other contraindications. Um, another one you could take is L-citrulline. Kind of, kind of, you can take both of them. They kind of work synergistically. Uh, but I mean, if you flush too much, or certainly if you're taking niacin for your cholesterol, you may really flush. Um, if you're taking Cialis, which you know it could also make you flush and lower your blood pressure a little bit, you cannot take nitroglycerin with it. Uh, but uh, so those are the main things, I guess. Um, uh, but all right, let's go to maybe a few more that I don't know about. Let's go to uh, John's question here. Uh, thank you for, for that question, Ray, on L-arginine. Um, John asked, what NR supplement do you take uh, and what dosage? I believe you're taking, uh, uh, is it life extension you're taking? It's a life extension, okay. yeah. Do you know the dose? Um, I take it in a powder form. I can't tell you the dose. I don't know how many milligrams it is. I'll have to get back with you on that. Uh, Katie maybe can, she's usually around that life extension stuff, but... Uh, it's kind of getting hard to get, you know, um, let alone with NAD is, is as well. But I take the, um, uh, well, hold on, it's my D-ribose that I take uh, in, in powder. My nicot- I'm, I'm not sure about, I think I'm getting it from Life Extension or did get it from Life Extension. Um, and again, I, the, the jury's out on that versus the NMR. Uh, so, NMN? Uh, M and N, yeah, but so let me get back with you on maybe. I think even orthomolecular may be having kind of a tough time getting that supplement right now, but check with us on that for sure okay. before I tell you the wrong dose or something. But uh, we will we'll be uh, talking more about um, NR as well as NMN uh, here in the in the coming weeks. Um, let's go to uh, Liberty Not License. Uh, on YouTube, anyone know of uh, anything successful in treating plantar fasciitis besides BPC-157 and TB-500? Also, anyone have personal experience with topical BPC-157 transdermal cream? Uh, and, and we might already have a couple answers uh, in the comments on YouTube. I'm not sure. Uh, but, Doc, what's your what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think the, the best treatment, plantar fasciitis can be tough and it can be hard to heal. Um, of course, you've got your orthotics and all that you can do uh, injections, but I think the best thing is what Ernie does in our office. He uses our his wave machine, which is uh, sound wave therapy. It's hmm. a forty thousand dollar machine that he uses. Uh, sounds like a jackhammer, but it, it breaks up adhesions. And uh, Ernie uses it all the time up there. Some of the podiatrists that have this machine will use it, um, but Ernie will use it just as part of his treatment for plantar fasciitis and he'll of course measure your foot and he'll you know, make you orthotics if you need but um you know some people get in splints at night to wear for that um i don't have any you know i love bpc 157 i take it orally and some, a lot of people will inject it into areas of tendonitis the cream i don't have any experience with the bpc 157 cream so It'd be interesting. You might even try some CBD cream on that uh, and see. It's uh, a great question, though. Try the try the uh, uh, sound wave therapy. And if I'm you not, live around here, you can get a hold of one. I, I'm not sure if Evangeline was responding to, to this question, but um, 
he was saying a Fisetin, um, and maybe that was uh, in response to another one, uh, another uh, question in regards to COVID brain fob that uh, Liberty Not Licensed was asking. So um, it, I'm not sure. Am I wrong? Yeah, there? you can. You can. No, I mean, there's a lot of research about that. Now, that'd be a good one to, to do that on, because I'm not sure if that works for that or not. I hmm. hate to say, but. Um, Thank you, Evangeline. We'll, we'll look at that. We'll look at Fisette in there. Um, let's see. Let's go with, uh, what am I missing? Uh, okay, where are we? Sorry, guys. Lost my lost my spot there. Um, oh, let's go uh, artificial sweeteners. Um, what's your thoughts? Is one better than the other? Oh, a type one. Cool. Um, okay. Uh, I know that uh, we're typically big believers in... Uh, uh, what's the stevia, stevia is the one that most people use, but again, I wouldn't use it. Of course, you're a type one. It's hard for you to do intermittent fasting, most likely. But um, you know, from having two type one kids since they were little, I, I know a lot about type one. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I typically I don't like artificial sweeteners much anymore. Certainly, the typical type like Splenda and aspartame they're just toxic there's no doubt about that they were meant to kill bugs not you know that's original research on them but um stevia is a little more pure if you have to uh, erythritol xylitol which are sugar alcohols that aren't supposed to raise your sugar um and there's another one uh, i like allulose um that will not raise your blood sugar. Some of these sweeteners will raise your sugar because think about it, you're, um, you're taking something that's a, that tastes a thousand times sweeter than sugar. And your yeah. body, so your body thinks it's sugar. So your insulin level goes up, not yours, because you don't make insulin, but it, your, your insulin level goes up to bring the sugar down that's not there. So it, it causes you to be hungry. That's why I think that you'll gain more weight on a Diet Coke than a regular Coke. It just messes your insulin levels up. You know, things are a lot different for type ones without a doubt. But in general, I don't like artificial sweeteners a whole lot. I guess I would probably choose allulose if I chose any oh, yeah. of them. And actually, yeah. you can actually cook with that one and it's not supposed to bring your sugars up. Uh, we, we um, actually... And also, this is crazy, but like when I, when I wore my continuous glucose monitor, I'm not a diabetic, but I just wanted to experiment with different things. And uh, actually raw, unpasteurized, local honey did not raise my sugar levels. Um, there's a, there's, we're gonna have a lot of stuff on honey in the future. I, I just love the medicinal effects of honey. I'll do a podcast on that soon, but so I look up allulose yep. if you haven't. Well, we actually did a, I, I think we wrote a, an article on allulose. Uh, it might have been a year or two back. Uh, we'll try to dig that up and put in the comments there, Allison, for you. But, uh, but allulose, I, I remember reading that article you wrote, and, uh, and that was, it sounded pretty, pretty ideal. <laughs> in fact, I just got some right here. Well, there we go. There we go. Zero yeah. calorie sweetener, wholesome. Uh, uh, but you know, um, of course, xylitol is, is dentists like it because it kind of prevents cavities. But, um, watch your blood sugar, C certainly type ones, they have to kind of 
they have to kind of regulate it. They have to, as you know, you have to be your own doctor. You got there's no doctor that can tell you exactly what to do. You just have to see how your body reacts to it. And I'll, I have to ask Andy and Kelly what they do and what, what they prefer and what won't affect their blood sugars. Um, but look up allulose. You probably already know about it, but um, um, I know Dr. Tilia loves allulose yeah. and diabetics. He goes, he takes a deep dive on diabetics, believe me. Um, if you ever listen to any of his stuff, he's um, a rapamycin guy too. So. <laughs> Let's get to uh, Keto Bandito's question. Uh, wondering if the xenoestrogens in my filtered tap water is causing low T. It certainly can. Um, yeah, you can see where that would. I don't know how you'd measure those in there, but um, it certainly can get through the filter. Um, I think the best way to, to avoid xenoestrogens is to avoid, you know, phthalates and uh, bisphosphonates and uh, EPA and eating McDonald's and uh, non-organic chicken, poultry. Um, but that's a great question. It certainly could. Um, Let's get uh, Steve's Boy. question here. Uh, David Sinclair, Dr. Sinclair is coming up quite a bit uh, in the comments I'm seeing. Uh, does the same apply, apply to metformin? And I'm assuming this is in response to, you know, the NMN and uh, NR uh, uh, conversation. Uh, it is oh, yeah. Dr. Sinclair's anti-aging stack. And I know you're... Oh, yeah, that's, that's on every anti-aging doctor's uh, bottom list is metformin. I mean, any conference I go to, they all, all the speakers take metformin. Um, you know, some people can't tolerate it on their gut very well. Maybe something like taking Digest Shield would help that. But, uh, but yeah, metformin is definitely an anti-aging medicine. I mean, it just improves insulin resistance, helps keep you lean. It uh, probably helps your sirtuins. It, uh, may affect mTOR. There's a lot of pathways that metformin works on, uh, senescent cells, etc. But yeah, I mean, you know, um, there's controversy about metformin, but uh, certainly it's it's pretty safe. It's a dirt cheap anti-aging drug. There's no doubt about that. If you can't tolerate it on your gut, of course, berberine is probably about as good. Well, at one point, at one point, we wrote a uh, or we did a uh, a podcast on on metformin and, and you uh you titled it the the wonder drug um because yeah. because it is it is pretty amazing uh what it can do um okay. but there's controversy does it cause cancer most people think it prevents cancer um but there's a rare things that it can cause like lactic acidosis and things but overall i think it's a pretty good drug um anti-aging wise and Diabetic-wise, it's where you always start out with type twos. Um, All right, let's get to Austin's question here. Uh, any good supplements you recommend uh, for a combination of immune health, uh, vitamin C, zinc, quercetin, etc.? Um, yeah, there is. There's one made by Orthomolecular. Um, get the name of it. Bio something, but uh, call the office about that. I'm gonna be ordering a lot of that. Um, uh, as far as the combination, the problem with vitamins that, that I've run into personally 
is I'll take a lot of supplements. So if you can get one that has a combination of things like that, then uh, you should take it. Because um, in the long run, it's going to be less expensive, and especially getting it from a company like Orthomolecular, it's going to be pure. It's going to be potent, and you can trust it. Um, you know, it's made right here in the U.S., and it's just a company that I do trust. So, great question. You know, one one time I put all of my supplements in my blender and in a smoothie, just because I was tired of you know swallowing thirty different pills during the day, and that was the most god awful tasting thing. I had to spit it out. So, you know, you can't put all your supplements. I think it was mostly the fish oils that did it. But, you know, some some of these things, curcumin. If you tasted that, ooh, that, that could be a toughie. Uh, let's get to, also uh, take a garlic peel. But, let's get to Kathy's question here. Uh, what do you think of lorazepam? Lorazepam, Ativan. I mean, it definitely relaxes you. It's a benzo, so it certainly can be habit forming. You know, so it's not something that you want to take unless you have to take it. Um, you know, it's kind of like Valium, Xanax, uh, then there's Ativan. So um, it's definitely a benzodiazepines, which are habit forming. Um, so, but it just situationally, sometimes I'll, you know, I'll use it on people. And uh, I've even taken it a couple of times myself and it'll definitely relax you. Um, but a lot of people get into problems with addiction if they have that personality and they, they want more and more of it and they, then they have to do it. Clompin's another one, long-acting benzo. Um, but for short-term, you know, uh, situational things, I, I will use it on people. Um, like I say, I try to take the best of medicine and alternative, uh, so there's definitely a use for it, and it will help relax you to help help you sleep. Um, one thing about, you know, drug overdoses is because I'm, I'm studying cannabis and all this stuff. Nobody's really going to overdose on cannabis. Right. I mean, that's almost unheard of. But what people overdose on, of course, is opiates and, and especially in combination with other drugs like alcohol um, and uh, benzos. You know, benzo and an opiate's a deadly combination. It's just a terrible, deadly combination. It depresses your respiratory efforts too much. So that's why it can be dangerous for, for people. And that's, it's usually a combination that kills these, these drug addicts and people that are dependent. So, um, and that's another reason that I think it's going to be a great use for cannabis is because nobody overdoses on it. And uh, you could actually, if you have to be on an opiate, it, it actually will allow you, it probably enhances the, the efficacy of, for pain without uh, the danger of overdosing. Allows people to use a lot lower dose of uh Well, that's opiate. what, you know, um, when we put out the, the podcast Tuesday, um, you called me uh, Tuesday morning and, and uh, you said that, that you wanted to, to add something that you didn't talk enough about. And it was, you know, it was about... Uh, the fact that, you know, no one has really died of, um, of a cannabis overdose, uh, as opposed to, uh, opioids and, and even alcohol. Yeah. I mean, maybe a hundred, I mean, it's, right. it's probably in combination with something else, but you know, it's, it's hard to do that. 
So, um, okay, let, we're going to take one more question. And alcohol is certainly more dangerous than yeah. cannabis. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, one more question and well, then we'll, let's. One more question, call then, we'll, uh, then we'll call it an evening. Uh, this is from Autumn here. Uh, do you have any recommendations for Parkinson's disease to naturally slow its uh, progression? Um, and what's interesting uh, about this question is that, you know, I, it seems like COVID could have been a trigger for, for some Parkinson's, I think. Uh, you know, as it's, yeah. a, it's a trigger for a lot of things. Maybe the vaccine may even be a trigger for activating Parkinson's or reactivating it. But uh, of course, you need some kind of dopamine, dopaminergic drug. So there, uh, you know, there is an, an L-dopa. You know, there's one life extension that makes something called dopamine uh, that kind of naturally increases your dopamine levels. Uh, I think oxytocin is good. Um, I think um, uh, cannabis, mm. you know, <laughs> cannabis is certainly a pretty good treatment for it, but I don't know if it, it's actually going to prevent it. Um, but, uh, or, but it may slow its progression, you know. As far as slowing its progression, you, you may think about some of those things. Dopamine. Uh, of course, if you have Parkinson's, you need to be seeing a, a specialist for it, in my opinion. And maybe even some of the stuff that uh, Dr. Mark does in Atlanta with, uh, yeah. you know, brain control and things. I know he works with a lot of Parkinson's patients. That's interesting. It's a non-drug. It's a non-drug. Uh, yeah. Way that he does it by, you know, it's, uh, it's ocular stimuli and things like that. But uh, does he talk, talk about that on his podcast? With, with no, you? no, we, we, we talked about, you might talk um, to him about uh, that. we talked about pots, um, pot syndrome. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thank you for saying that. I, I'm going to uh, Parkinson's well, is becoming so common that that may be a good thing for you to interview him on. Yeah. Uh, down in Atlanta. Um, uh, real quick. I want to, I, I want to take one more question. Uh, because I, I, I'm sure I missed a, a ton of questions here, but, but I think you can knock this, this one out pretty quickly. Uh, what about 600 milligrams of NAC? Is that okay for a 41-year-old female, about 175, 175 pounds? I've lost about 100 pounds on, on keto, taking things more serious. First of all, congratulations. That's amazing. Uh, that is awesome. What's your, what's your thoughts on 600 milligrams of NAC for a 41-year-old female? Perfect. Okay. Perfect. Perfect dose. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Becky, Becky, I hope that helps. Uh, guys, we're going to call it an evening. I'm going to go through and, and make sure that uh, the ones that we didn't get to, because I know we missed quite a few tonight, uh, we will get next week. Um, Doc, I appreciate you. Thank you for the time tonight. Uh, guys, this has been... We'll get so- back to Tuesday nights. Tuesday night, we will be back, um, back on Tuesday night at 7 o'clock, our regularly scheduled program. Uh, thank you guys for for being flexible with us uh, this week. Uh, we certainly do appreciate it. Um, Doc, thanks, man. We appreciate you. Uh, right. Everyone in the comments, everyone uh, out there uh, in in this wonderful community, we really appreciate you guys. We love you. Uh, we will be back uh, Tuesday uh, of next week. Um, I guess that'll be March. Uh, gosh, it goes by goes by fast. Love you guys. We'll see you guys next week. Don't go away. Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode of the podcast. Uh, Please share the podcast with your friends. And if you haven't subscribed yet, please subscribe. Uh, We will see you guys next time.